Well, today, um, when we look into the Word, uh, we are going to focus on our second um, week of looking at the four cardinal doctrines of our church. Now, I gave you a test last week, and, and a lot of you didn't pass. And so I gave you the answers last Sunday. Let's see if you can do better this Sunday. Does anybody remember what the four cardinal doctrines of our church? And Royal Rangers are all in here today, and they know it's four gold points. And I had to pick on Evan last week because I knew a good Royal Ranger would know that. But um, does anybody know what they are? The first one we looked at last week was what? Salvation. We looked at salvation, what it means, kind of what, what God does, how God draws us, and how we respond with repentance and faith, and results in new life. And we took that, looked at that last week. And then what are the next three? We have salvation, then we have, what did I say today is? Healing. And the reason we're going to talk about healing, the reason that's important, is Jesus did, in, in scriptures, combine healing with the preaching of the gospel. And um, he said this is a really important uh, aspect. And the reason I think it is is because we all deal with physical problems. And Jesus used it as a very practical way of saying, listen, I am powerful. And we're going to talk about that today. So we have, we have salvation and healing. We also have what? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the last one, number four, second coming of Christ. Now, are those the most important things in all the Bible? I don't know if you had to categorize what the most important are. Um, but surely without salvation, we couldn't know the Lord. Um, these other, you know, without the filling of the Spirit, we don't have all the power we need to do what God wants us to do. Without healing, we could, you know, we see the, the reality of, of God's operation in our life. And then without a reality of the second coming of Christ, um, number one, we're not busy about the Master's work because we don't have this idea that there's a time frame. And also, I think especially for those of you who are growing up in this thing, your, your kids growing up, the reality that, and, and for all of us, but the reality that Jesus is coming back puts an extra little sense that, you know what, uh, everything I do is under the, under the watchful eye of my Lord. I know Suzanne will tell me stories when she grew up how she was convinced. One time I think she grew up, she woke up and she couldn't find her family and she was convinced the Lord had raptured the church and taken them all to heaven and she was left behind. And uh, she ran around the house trying to find her family, scared to death because she couldn't figure out how they all got to go to heaven and she didn't. And then she found that they were all still quite at home. And so uh, second coming of Christ. We'll look at that in, in uh, two more weeks. And so... This week we're going to focus on, maybe we can bring this down just a little bit, Fred. I hear some, some kind of ringing. Um, it could just be my ears ringing, right? They always do that. But um, focus on divine healing. And, you know, I wanted to start with this video um, because it really emphasized the, the connection between the preaching of the gospel and divine healing. And the very last scripture that, that was up on the screen showed this. It said Jesus told his, his disciples to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? And when we read the scriptures, it looks pretty straightforward. Jesus went around, somebody was sick, he, he would say, do something, he would lay hands on them, or one time he took mud and he, he spit in the dirt, made mud and rubbed it in the guy's eyes and he's healed and it just looks pretty straightforward. But I want to tell you something. I've been walking with Christ. I've been a Christian for 30 years of the 45 years I've been alive. And about 30 of them. And it doesn't seem this straightforward to me. And I'm not saying I don't under, that I disagree with Scripture. I don't at all. But I don't think it's as, as clear-cut as, um, as we think it might be. And it's not just that simple of a matter. And I've found in the church world, as I've, as I've been in this way of Christianity for about 30 years now, that the church world tends to kind of polarize into two camps when it comes to the concept of healing. 
And the first one is what I'd like to term um, hyperfaith. And this is something that's been around for a long time, really had a resurgence back about 15 years ago, and is still alive and well. And if you flip your channels and you find uh, some Christian programming on TV, often you come across kind of this, this brand of Christianity talking about healing. And this, this type of idea of healing teaches that, that all sickness and disease is a, is a spiritual attack from Satan. So as a child of God, what one does is he speaks to the disease in faith, casts it out, says, in Jesus' name, you have no reason to be here, and the person is healed. And they'll say things like this, take spiritual authority over Satan, spiritual authority over sickness, and the big word is, and confess that you're healed. And, um, and oftentimes, confess you're healed even regardless of reality. That, you know, you're praying for your broken leg, and they say, say you're healed, and your leg's still broken, but you say, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, and you walk around with a broken leg. I don't know if you've ever been exposed to that brand of Christianity. I have. Um, and that's kind of one end of the spectrum. And, and what happens with that brand of Christianity is of idea of, of faith. And I'm not saying people are, are bad or well, poor intention, but they, they gravitate to this side and they say, you know, what happens then when somebody doesn't get healed? And they come up with kind of two conclusions. Either, number one, they didn't have enough faith. You know, and they say, well, you just didn't believe hard enough because the Bible says just pray and believe and you'll be healed. And so you must not have had faith. Or if they say this is a faith-filled person... They say, well, they just must have sin in their lives. There's something inside your life that there's sin going on, and because of that sin, God can't bless you. And uh, you know what? I, I traveled in that circle for a number of years as a, as a new Christian. And that's kind of one end of the spectrum. But then there's another end of the spectrum, way over on the other side. And uh, it, it's a, a group that I'll call the cessationists. Anybody ever hear that term before? It's other than Pastor Brutes, who's a Ph.D. candidate. Um, Luke has, you know, cessationist. A cessationist is the person, and again, godly, born-again people, but they believe, the kind of, I think, a misunderstanding of scriptures, that all the miraculous stopped with the apostles. That everything miraculous, ever hear that before? That they'd say that all the miraculous things of the, of the Lord, of the Spirit, ceased with the death of the disciples. And they would say, well, when the perfect come, came, then every, all this rest of the stuff will pass away. And they would say the perfect is the scriptures, and therefore there's no miraculous Anymore, and they would they would you know go on to say that sin is just part of the human experience because sin is part of the fall of man. It's it's I, mean, he, I, mean, I should say sickness is part of the human experience because it's just the result of sin in the world. And um, they would you know say well since all the miracles stopped with the apostles when they died, then um, there aren't any miracles anymore, so there can't be any any healing anymore. So they kind of take it from approach that says you know what if you're sick. Just trust the Lord and walk through the sickness, and the Lord will, will carry you through. The Lord will get you through. And the question is, of those two camps, you know, which one is correct? Which one has the right view about healing? And I would say this. I think, I think neither. I think they're two extremes that, that have dominated the church world for a long time, but, but um, I think there's elements of truth in both of them, but I think neither one of them is, is really correct. And, because here's some things we know about, about healing that we really know to be true. We know this. Scripture teaches and experience confirms. And, and friends, you know what? We don't live our lives or build our theology based on experience. But if experience does not validate our theology, then we have to ask, is it, is it right? Because here's you know what I know about God? God's a real God. And he really wants to prove that what he says is true. And so experience does validate truth when we understand truth properly. And so Scripture teaches and experience confirms that, that God is still in the healing business. And if you don't believe it to be true, 
you know, sit down with my son Brett one of these days, and I know a lot of you have heard the story of Brett, but how, and I won't, so I won't tell the whole story, but how Brett, you know, as a, as a young boy, um, broke his humerus bone and had two elbows, you know, an elbow here and another elbow there because his arm went this way and then this way and then this way. You know, it was broken right in half. Got the x-rays, the doctor said, it's impossible, it's broken, it needs to have surgery because you can't cast this thing. You know, they wrapped it up, waited for the next day to do surgery, re-x-rayed it again and said, we don't know what's happening, but this kid's broken arm's not broken anymore. And the doctor concluded that there was a, somebody was playing a joke on him and said, who switched the x-rays? Or this isn't the same kid. And we said, no, no, you're the same doctor, we're the same parents, he's the same kid, yesterday it was broken, today it's not. You know, um, God's still in the healing business. You know, there was a day, and I told you about this, when I tore my vocal cords as a brand new pastor. And if you know anything about, if you're a singer, or you know anything about public speaking, the death blow to anybody who makes their living with their voice is torn vocal cords. Because once they're torn, they're torn, and you can't really do anything about it. Well, a year into pastoral ministry, I tore my vocal cords. And every sermon, I would talk like this. That's all I could talk. couldn't do anything else. Just like that, every single sermon. And one day, you know, no faith at all, some old lady that I thought was a, was a kook, in the church that we planted, I didn't like her. She was mean and she was, she, I just didn't really like her. And, and she walked up to me one day and she said, God told me he's going to heal you. And I'm like, yeah, just leave me alone. I want to go home. <laughs> Dead serious. You know, of course I had the pastoral, I acted pastoralish during the time. But um, I was like, leave me alone. I don't like you. You're mean and you've been mean to my family. And, you know, and, and she walked up and she grabbed me right by the throat. It's like that. And I'm going, I'm going to hit you. you know, <laughs> I'm going to hit you. My throat hurts. Leave me alone. And she prays, and instantly, like somebody took a 55-gallon drum of hot oil, dumped it right over my head, I felt this over the top of me, and my vocal cords instantly healed. And I'm going, this is impossible, all of a sudden I can talk, you know? Exactly, praise the Lord. But here's the neat thing, God did. He healed my, he healed my vocal cords, and somebody just brought this up the other week, they said, you have a weak voice. And my, I think my wife would disagree. She, she'd say, you had a big mouth <laughs> or, or a loud voice. But here's what my thing. Every sermon when I preach, if you notice by the end, this poor sound guy, this poor Fred, this, this is impossible for them because my voice starts up, up here and it goes down, 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 down. It is very weak. I can't sustain. And there's whole ranges. I can't, I can't sing anymore, whole certain ranges. And one day I asked the Lord, I said, God, if you would heal me, how come you would heal me? But it, it's not the way it was again. I really felt the Lord showed me. He said, you know what, Mark, you're walking with a limp. He said, every single time you preach, you have to be reminded of the fact that if I didn't heal you, you couldn't do what I asked you to do. He said, I healed you. To, I gave you a voice so you could continue to preach and teach. But you know what, Mark? You've got to remember every week you're, re- you're dependent on me. So I have no problem with it. You know, God's healing was better than originally because it reminds me every day um, that, that I need him that he healed me. So you know what? God is still in the healing business. You've got people in this building who can tell you. You know, Gary's here, who just gave his testimony last Wednesday, somewhere Gary's around here, right here, who told us how God's healed him of leukemia. You know, he, last Wednesday night in our Bible study, he said, how, told the story how God's healed him of leukemia. You know, and so we have stories in this very room of people who say the doctors said it was impossible, they couldn't be done. You know what the doctors told me? They said, find a new career. You can't do this anymore. You know, you, you speak wrong and you wrecked your voice and you can't be a preacher. Go back and sell insurance or something. But you know what? We have evidence that God is still in the healing business. But you know what else we know? Um, scripture um, teaches and experience confirms that not everybody is healed. It doesn't make any sense to me, but it shows it 
that not everybody, not everybody is healed. And there's a, an interesting little verse in, in 2 Timothy, and you can look it up later, uh, 2 Timothy 4.20, and it's always been interesting to me because people who are always saying, God always heals 100% of the time, they scratch this one out of their Bible where it's Paul talking about when he's doing ministry and one of his ministry partners, um, Troph- Trophimus, he says this about him. And it's important that he, why would he point this out? He says, I left him sick in Miletus. He says, I'm going along and you know what? This good friend of mine who's a ministry partner, I couldn't bring him with me because I had to leave him sick back in the last place. Now, Paul, we know from all of scriptures, when he prayed for people, they'd get healed. And this guy, he obviously prayed for, and this guy is still sick, and he can't take him with him anymore, and he has to leave him sick. You know, and we all know of people, we all know of loved ones, you know, uh, people crying at the altar this morning because we're praying for this little girl who's three years old and, you know, they've taken off a of life support. And we've, as a church and as family members here, have been praying, God, heal this little girl. And it looks like miracles are happening. And we say, God, it doesn't make any sense. Why in the world would you heal a, kid, a five-year-old kid's broken arm? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, God. And then there's a little girl who has cancer. You know, but we know people who have been prayed for, often who are godly people, and they haven't been healed or they're not healed yet. So, you know, what is the truth about healing? And, you know, what I want us to do today, I want us to look at the scriptures, and a section of scriptures, a long section, that focuses as a main theme on healing. And now let's see what we can learn. Grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Mark with me, if you would, this morning. Gospel of Mark. That's a good name, isn't it? Kind of like that. I met a lady yesterday. She said her son's name was Mark. And you know why she told me she named her son Mark? No lie. She told me this yesterday. She said, I named my son Mark because it was one syllable. When he's in trouble, I could yell it easy. Mark! (laughs) I thought, well, I wonder if my parents did it for the same reason. They called me Mark because they could yell at me um, easier. But I have to think Mark and Dean and Deb, I guess that works. They could yell at all of us easy, one syllable shouting. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read this, this big, long section um, all the way from, from verse 29. Chapter, did I say that? chapter 1? I'm sorry. Thank you. Chapter 1, turn my page, 29 all the way through 212. And what I want you to pay attention here is these are just basically a whole bunch of stories of healing. Because here's, here's what I want to end up with today. I don't believe for a second I'm, we're going to walk away from here and say we understand healing. Now, you know, we're smarter than the rest of the entire church of 2,000 years of serving Jesus Christ. And we're going to figure it all out today. And we're going to walk out and every time we pray for the sick, now they're going to be healed. Because I don't think that's the way God's designed it. But I think we're going to see some elements that are contained in healing that are going to give us a direction for that when somebody is sick, we know how to pray. And I believe as we do these things, you know what God will do? He'll heal the sick. I believe it's God's will and his plan that as us as Christians, individually and us Christians as a church, that God wants us to pray for the sick and the sick will recover. I absolutely believe that is the plan of God. Otherwise, I couldn't speak to you today because my throat wouldn't have been healed. So I believe that's God's plan. So let's start in verse 29, chapter 1 of Mark. It says, And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her, and he raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. 
When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And early in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came, what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in the unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Chapter 2. When he had come back to to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was home and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not not even near the door, and he was speaking to the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet and went out into the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, the whole section we just looked at, all of this in Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2, are stories about healing. Now, that in itself says that healing must be an important topic for the Lord, to include that much in the text about healing. But what I see woven into these stories, I see details that give us insight about healing. Now, I want you to understand, you know, I don't think we will answer all our questions about healing. But I do think that we can come to some solid principles about healing for us. Anybody know who who Young E. Cho is? Pastor Young E. Cho? Now goes by David Young E. Cho. Um, uh, The pastor of the largest church in the world. He doesn't have any credentials. His church only has a million people in it in Seoul, South Korea. You know, that's the small little one, right? Um, you know what I heard him say one time in a conference? He said, anybody who says he has, that they have healing figured out scares me. He says, because we just can't figure it out. That's a guy who's prayed for probably more people in the world to see him healed than anybody I'm aware of. Their church is just filled with miracles. 
And he says, you know what, we can't figure this out. But there are principles that we can grab um, from this text that will help us. And the first principle that I see is this. We see from this text that healing is tied to prayer. Healing is tied to prayer. Healing is tied to simply asking God for it. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 35. And maybe thinking of prayer a little bit different than you had. Yes, it's praying for the need, but it's also tied to be a person who is a person of prayer. Verse 1, chapter 35, we find sandwiched in between two occurrences when Jesus healed a lot of people. And look what it says about Jesus. He healed all these people, and then everybody goes to bed, and it says in the morning, early in the morning, while it was still dark, and I think it could say, and everybody else was still sleeping, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Friends, healing is tied to prayer. Healing, or, or prayer is about our vertical relationship with God. It's about having a relationship of connectivity with God. It's about having a life where we're saying, God, I want your will and your way, and we're connected to him. And Jesus lived every day of his life in that connected relationship with the Father. He had that vertical relationship, healthy, being connected to God, and asking, um, then, then he knew how and when and why and where to ask God for healing. So he knew what the Father was about. Why? Because he was engaged in a life of prayer. Take your Bibles and flip to near the end of your New Testament to the book of James. I'm going to show you a little more clearly how this works. James chapter 5. It was, it was mentioned in our, in our video this morning. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. We're thinking about prayer here and healing. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must what? Pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it did not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Look at that. Um, the Lord talking to us about praying for the sick. And here's the interesting thing to, to notice. Seven times James uses the word pray or prayer in relationship to healing. As a matter of fact, earlier in the book of James, in the fourth chapter, James says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it. You don't pray for it. See, friends, the first thing we need to gather here is prayer is tied to healing. Why? Uh, because God wants us to ask him for healing. God wants us to come before him and ask for healing. You say, why? If God knows everything on the planet, everything in the universe, why would I have to ask God to be healed? Well, I think this is the reason why. Because prayer reveals submission and dependence on God. When we come to God and we pray, we're saying, God, you know what? I can't do this, but you can. Prayer reveals dependence and submission on God. And friends, we've got to understand this aspect of healing. God is the healer. And here's where sometimes we make the mistake, especially that camp, that side of the, of the Christian world, that, that the more hyper-faith side. I think we tend to forget that God's the healer and we tend to look to man as the healer. 
You want to know something? We need to go to God in prayer for healing because God is the healer. You know who the healer is not? The healer is not the TV preacher. I've got a friend, wonderful friend, who passed away, who had a muscular dystrophy, um, knew him from Michigan, and he was one of maybe the most godly person I know. He spent his entire life in a wheelchair um, praying. His entire life was focused on Jesus. And there was a particular TV preacher that would always just say, if you come to my crusades, you'll get healed. And his passion of his life, if I can just get to that crusade and have that man pray for me, I'll get up out of my wheelchair. And he arranged, and a friend of mine drove him all the way to Florida to a crusade from Marquette, Michigan, drove this guy who was hard for him to be in a car for five minutes, let alone three days it probably took them, I think, to get down to Florida with all the stops they had to make. And he gets to the crusade of the man who's saying, if you just come to me, I'll heal you. And the man, you know, he's wheeled up in his wheelchair and the man prays for him and it wasn't a year later and he was dead. You know what? I don't understand that, but I know this. The healing wasn't because of some TV preacher. I'm not against TV preachers. But I say this, friends, we need to understand healing flows from God. You know where healing doesn't come from? It doesn't come from your pastor. You know where healing doesn't come from? It doesn't come from the members of a prayer team. Healing flows from God. That's why prayer is the first element that we must, we must grab onto when we, go, when we look at healing. Healing comes from God, so God ties it to prayer. Second thing, first of all, healing comes from prayer. Number two, healing is tied to the nature of God. Look at Mark again. I know I'm having you look at a lot of scriptures today, but that's all right, isn't it? Because this is, an, this is a topic that, that has caused a lot of confusion in the church world. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. It says, And the leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. What's it say about the nature of God there? It says, Jesus was moved with compassion and willing to heal. Friends, when, I, when we look at the nature of Jesus, we see a heart filled with compassion. Jesus loves us. He created us and he cares for us. And friends, it's because of his nature that he heals. God heals because of his heart for compassion for us. Now, I can't explain to you why one person is healed and another person isn't. And I said, it doesn't make any sense to me why God would heal a five-year-old with a broken arm or a, a preacher with a bad throat, but not heal some precious little child who's dying of a, of a serious illness. That doesn't make sense. I can't answer that. You know why? Because I'm not God, and you can't answer it either because you're not God. But I do know this. He doesn't love any one person any more than he loves any other person. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you think, well, you know what? Maybe God loves that other person more than me. God does not love any one person any more than he loves any other person. And he has compassion on all people. And based on his nature, I must conclude that he always does what is best for the people that he loves. That doesn't always make sense to me. Friends, when we really know that he loves us, that he has compassion for us, then we can rest in the arms of his love, trusting him to do what is best for us every time we go to him in prayer. You don't need to question whether or not Jesus loves you. He loves you, and the way he proved it is he died on the cross for you. 
You don't need to question it. We don't need to question when somebody's going through a hard time and they say, but I don't see God's healing hand. You know what they always say to me? Not always. Almost every time they say to me, well, God doesn't love me. It's nothing to do with the love of God. God does love you. He proved it when he died on the cross for our sins. And he has compassion for us. And so what he wants us to understand is that we can trust him to do what is best in our lives in all areas and especially in our, in our lives regarding the area of healing for ourselves or the healing for another person because the very nature of God is a nature of compassion. Does that make sense? So God, we pray, we, pray, we understand that, pr- that healing is tied to prayer. Healing is tied to the nature of God. And the last thing we want to look at today is that healing is tied to faith. Look at chapter 2. Verse 5. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is where the one camp really chimes in and says, the faith preacher camp, and says, you know what? This is what they usually say. Just believe and you will receive. It's all about getting yourself to mentally believe that God is going to do something, whether or not it's really happening. If we can just do it, it's more metaphysics than it is faith. It's more just trying to convince ourselves of something. But church, you know what? It's not that simple. Because Scripture reveals that people of all faith levels were healed. People, scripture shows that people who had great faith and people who had little faith was healed. But it's tied to faith. And I, hopefully by the end you're going to understand what this means. In Matthew chapter 8, we find a story of a, of a guy called the centurion servant. You familiar with that story? The, servant, the centurion servant. And in this story, there's uh, this man who's a centurion. He's an army man. And um, he has a servant who is very ill. And the man goes to Jesus and says, my servant is going to die. Would you pray for him to be healed? And he said, Jesus says, okay, let's go. And the man says, no, 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 you don't need to come to my house. You don't need to come. You just say the word and he'll be healed. Remember what Jesus said in response to that? Wow. That's what Jesus said. In, the, in the, our day and age, he said, wow. He said, I have never seen such great faith ever before in the people that are around here. He says, the greatest faith I've ever heard. This man didn't say, Jesus, come to my house. He said, Jesus, just speak the word and it will be done. And so Jesus said, hey, you have great faith. Go, your servant is healed. What did they find out? He went back home and his servant was healed. And so we say, see, it's tied to this in- incredible, um, unshakable faith. But you know what? Scripture shows something else because I don't know about you, but I live in a real world where my faith's not always that unshakable. You know, let's be honest today. Where our faith's not always that unshakable. And Scripture tells a story of a demon-possessed boy who was healed when his father admitted that he lacked faith. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Starting in verse 22. Here's a story of a man. He comes to Jesus. And this man is begging Jesus to heal him. And Jesus' man's telling the story of what's been going on in his son's life. His father's pleading, saying, here's what this demon has done in my my son's life. And starting in verse 22, it says what the demon has done. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, Listen to this. I do believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. Look at the father's cry there. 
the father's, father's cry is, I, basically, I want to believe, but I'm full of unbelief. Help my unbelief. You know what? It's all right to admit at times we have unbelief. This guy says, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. The key to this, is, to this faith thing is this, friends. Some people had great faith. Some people had little faith. But here's the key to faith. They placed their faith in Christ, the healer. They didn't place their faith in faith. They placed their faith in Jesus, the healer. They chose to turn to Jesus and to trust in him to do the healing. And friend, that's what we all must do. We have faith that our compassionate Lord always does what is right and best when we turn to him in prayer. That's how faith is tied to healing. It's about knowing and trusting the Lord and believing that he does hear 100% of the time when we pray and he does answer 100% of the time when we pray. That's what the faith is all about. It's not faith in healing. It's faith in Jesus. We put our faith in a man. His name is Jesus. He's God. And we say, God, I trust you. And 100% of the time, when I pray for somebody who's sick, I know this. Jesus is hearing me. He always hears. He's never deaf. He never goes on vacation. He's hearing me. And 100% of the time, his heart of compassion is acting in a situation. Now, I might understand how he's acting. I might understand why he delays. I might not understand why he answers a way that doesn't make sense to me. But 100% of the time, we have faith in Jesus that he does hear and he does answer. Friends, the four men in the story we read about taking care of the paralytic, they understood this kind of faith. Because you know what? They wouldn't stop until they got to Jesus. It wasn't about anything else. It was about getting their friend to Jesus. They understood the faith was in him. And they were so, so committed to getting to Jesus that they ripped the roof off of some guy's house. How would you like that meeting to go on in your house? You got Jesus over for a small group and some yahoos rip your roof off and let a guy through your ceiling. You wouldn't be real happy about that. But they said, our faith is in Christ. And they said, I'll stop at nothing. So they tear a guy's roof off. They let a guy down and on his pallet. And they knew that Jesus was the healer. They put all their faith in him. And friends, that's how faith is tied in here. It's faith in Christ. It's having that relationship with him and knowing that he is our healer. So friends, with faith in Jesus, what do we do as we wrap this thing up? We call out to him for healing. And we trust that he will hear and he will answer. Friends, Jesus says this. He says healing is a vital part of the gospel message. Jesus preached and he healed. And he says to his church, we are to do the same thing. This is what I know for sure about healing. God still heals the sick. This is what else I understand about healing. I don't understand how he does it. Okay? But I know this. We're to pray for it. Right? We're to have faith. We're to trust in his nature, in his compassion. And we're to have faith. That, we're to, that we, we, we go to the Lord and we go to him again and we go to him again and we say, God, we don't understand it, but we trust in you and we're going to pray. And friends, you know what happens when you do that? Five-year-old son... His arm gets healed. A guy with no faith at all, with the lady praying for him, none. Doesn't even want the lady to pray for him. God heals like that. You know what? God is still in the healing business.